now, back to Stand Up with Pete Dominic on Indy. Sirius XM 104. Okie dokie. Listen, I... What an annoying thing it is for someone who talks into a microphone on the radio to say, listen. Or earlier, I corrected myself with my last guest, Dan Ripple. I was about to use the phrase, let me ask you this. Which is also really annoying when people say that. Let me ask you this. So my uh, eight-year-old and her eight-year-old friends are now using the phrase, I know, right? That also drives me crazy. I know, right? After someone says something. Those are all things that annoy me. If I say things like that that annoy you, you should call the program or uh, send a tweet to at Pete Dominic and, uh, and take me to task. Okay. Now, moving on. I'm a big fan of our next guest. I've uh, been reading uh, a lot that he writes, pretty much everything he writes now at the Daily Beast Newsweek. Uh, he is a CEO. He's the CEO of an organization called Values Partnerships. He was President Obama's first director of the White House Faith-Based Initiative. And his recent Newsweek cover story is called The Enduring Rift, Understanding Our Inner Trayvons and Inner Zimmermans. Folks, I told you I'm not going to talk about, uh, stop talking about race. Uh, the conversation about race in America continues right here, whether or not there's a big headline. And we're now joined by Joshua Dubois. Joshua, thank you so much for ch- coming back and uh, talking to me. I appreciate it. Pete, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for having me. So, um, first, your personal reaction to the George Zimmerman verdict. What was your personal reaction when the news came out? You know, Pete, I, I was honestly just sad. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was not surprised. I, um, as I saw the trial develop, you know, I, I could certainly see a, a, um, this outcome coming. But, you know, there's just there was something just very sad to me that, you know, after an encounter like that with an unarmed young man and, and someone who's armed, um, that, you know, someone could lose their life and that the responsible party would not in some way be held accountable by our criminal justice system. I know the intricacies of the law. I know how the trial went down. But, you know, if you just step, take a few steps back from um, those details, there's just something very sad about that. And that's, that's kind of what my immediate reaction was. Why do you think that in the U.S. in 2013 there is such different reaction based on on what whether or not you're white or black especially uh all kinds of polls and questions uh have proven that you know white folks feel one way about the verdict and and black folks feel another way about the verdict uh obviously there are exceptions like me uh but i mean what what do you make of 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 the reaction uh based on the race of the person who is uh, reacting you know, I, I explored this in my piece, and there's a guy named Russell Moore who's the new spokesperson for the Southern Baptist Convention, our nation's largest conservative Christian denomination. Um, and interestingly enough, even with that background, he's from Mississippi. He's a white American himself. He, um, uh, he, I, I think, hit the nail on the head in, in, in the interview in the piece. And what Dr. Moore said is that, you know, white Americans and black Americans are having two entirely different conversations about the Zimmerman and and Martin issue. Uh, On the one hand, African Americans are uh, seeing this through the lens of history and politics and broader social justice concerns, and that's what the immediate reaction um, was about. On the other hand, white Americans are looking at the the specific details of this one um, case um, and and, and weighing that. And and Moore's suggestion was that we really got to meet each other um, where the other side is, so that that you know whites should try to um, pull back and look a little bit more at the 
the history that underlies all this, the you know, history of Emmett Till and Medgar Evers and, you know, all the other issues of race that we confront in our country. And African Americans need to um, sort of come to the micro level and, and tell their stories a little bit more, like what this case really meant for them as individuals and not just kind of, you know, talk about the broader national political implications. And so I, I think that's what the, the problem is. We're having two entirely different conversations. Well, we, I, I, I will submit we have entirely different conversations because, frankly, we don't mix enough. I mean, that's, that's right. th- that has so much to do with this is that we just don't mix. And it's not only in, in areas where you have obviously more opportunity to mix with those of different backgrounds, races, cultures, et cetera. Obviously, we're, we're still very, uh, you know, segregated in, in, in this country based on culture and race and different parts. But even in the places where we do have the opportunity to spend more time with folks who are different from us, we generally don't choose to. That's right. And even when you, we, you agree with that. You think that's a true, a, a true statement, a true uh, observation. I do. I think there are probably more opportunities than we take advantage of. I mean, I think, you know, for most folks, at least once a week or maybe even once a day, we're going to be in relatively close quarters with someone of a different background. Now, that may be in the cubicle next to us at work. It may be, you know, on the train, on the, on the subway on the way in um, for the day or, you know, with a, a commuter that you see every single day and maybe on the weekend and, and a foursome, you know, um, playing golf. Um, but when we have those opportunities, we, we, we rarely choose to go deep to, you know, to at least, um, you know, gently start a conversation about tough subjects. Now, that's really hard. And, and who wants to do that? I mean, all, we all live very busy lives and, um, and and entering into those dialogues is tough. But I think that's what it's going to take. You know, you know, after you've gotten to know someone for a while, one day pulling them aside and say, hey, what do you think about this Martin thing? How does this make you feel? Um, can I can I ask you some questions about it? I think yeah, but that's 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 that that kind of a question is crazy, especially for white people do not want to bring up race to black people. I mean, I'll, yeah. hey, I'll talk to black folks about anything. I'm not afraid of, of someone who's different from me, but I'm not going to bring up race to a black person because I don't want to uh, make it about race. I want it to be, hey, you're a black guy. I'm a white guy. Who cares? Let's talk about, you know, the Red Sox Devil Rays game last night. Let's talk about parenting. Let's talk. But I don't want to bring up that, you know, uh, elephant in the room, if you will, of race. That's that's not something that 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 white folks uh, think is okay. Yeah, but here's the thing: the race is already on the mind of that African American that you're talking to, and that's that's what we've got to just deal with. You, I know it's very uncomfortable to bring it up. I know it's a really kind of tough thing to do. But the reality is it's already there. It's, it's already this elephant in the room, like you said, that's um, a factor in our conversations, a factor in our relationships. And if we never talk about it, I mean, it's, it's like family dynamics. You know, if there are issues that, that between a husband and a wife that they just never get on the table because they're, they're tough to talk about, then eventually those issues are going to explode. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, Joshua. That, that, that would never happen in my marriage. Um, but no, but you know, you're, yeah. Okay. So here's the problem though, of course, because even if, even if I am supposed to bring it up and, and I'm being, you know, I'm being very hypothetical here because I'll, I'll say anything to anybody pretty much anytime. Uh, and I love talking about race with people, with, with black folks and and other minorities. I I learned so much, but, but Joshua, 
I'm not supposed to talk about politics and religion at any family gathering. Forget about, you know, having black folks there. I'm not supposed to talk about politics and religion. You know, that's the old saying at any at Thanksgiving. Right. Stay away from that because it's divisive. So you're saying that I'm at work and and, and, and you and I and you and I are forklift operators in the warehouse. And I'm just like, hey, Joshua. What do you think of that that uh, George Zimmerman verdict? And now, all, next thing I know, you and I are fighting at work. I mean, that's that's something to be avoided, not to be engaged in. Well, so here's the thing: there are two alternatives. You can either, uh, if you're two forklift op- operators and you're having a beer after work somewhere, and you're in a pretty good mood, and uh, you can decide to say, "Well, you know what? Um, I'm going to step out there and ask a gentle question." Hey, you know, I'm a white guy. I'm gonna ask the, the my African American coworker, can you walk me through this Martin thing? How it impacted you? Tell me your scene. Tell me a little bit more how you feel about that. I know it's tough. It's weird. It's a difficult thing to do. The alternative is say that you're on the uh, on the work site and um, a white guy gets promoted over a black guy, or vice versa, or some incident happens at work. Race is gonna explode in that incident, and if you had not had that conversation prior if you hadn't unpacked this issue you're going to have to deal with race anyway it's better to do it you know again just like in marriage it's better to um to address these issues in good times than waiting for them to explode and you know what we saw with the martin cases it it exploded and now's not the time to necessarily have that conversation it's more when 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 things are good and and you can approach it in a calm and um and uh and productive manner we're talking to uh, Joshua Dubois. And I always uh, thoroughly enjoy our conversations. He's got a great uh, the cover story at Newsweek called, titled The Enduring Rift, Understanding Our Inner Trayvons and Inner Zimmermans. And I haven't really even gotten into the article yet, Joshua. But I think it's I think it's almost, you know, comical. I can as a comedian, I can almost do a sketch about how I I can ask my my, my black friend Joshua to walk me through how I'm supposed to appro- uh, 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 approach this subject, because that that that's that's the thing that's. Um, so daunting, I think, for a lot of folks listening. And again, um, it's hard for me to even hypothetically have this conversation because I have no qualms about it at all. I'll I'll ask you anything. I, I don't care. But most folks, mm-hmm. I think, feel um, uneasy, uncomfortable. They don't know what to say or how to say it necessarily. And and it's great. I think that we're we're you and I are having this conversation about how the conversation needs to happen. And and exactly. but why why does it need to happen? Why do we need to? Uh, mix more socially and and I mean I learned so much uh, from from living with these black guys in college and because uh, I I then went to a black uh, wedding and then I went to a an all black funeral and it was like I'm 21 years old and yeah. having those experiences for the first time it was so eye opening it was so different and it was so interesting and I was I wanted more I wanted to know more about not only black folks, but, you know, people from all different walks of life and backgrounds and, and, and so on. But why is it, you know, we're talking about how we do it. Why is it more important to mix socially, especially? It's, it's a great question. And you know, my, my answer is it's not just one of deficits that we need to get out in front of potential problems and race issues and, and so forth. I think it's because of, you know, all the richness um, that, that is added to our lives when we develop these relationships. I mean, I grew up in the South. Um, I, I knew black folks and white folks and pretty much <laughs> no one else uh, growing up in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And the first time I met 
anyone from the Jewish community was when I uh, went to college in, 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 in Boston, at Boston University. And, you know, I went to a couple of Passover seders and, and various, you know, um, ceremonies and events. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. I've, I've now right. added to my set of experiences. I've, I've learned more about another history. I'm, I feel more enriched as an American. And so, you know, I, I think it's about actually living better lives. And we do that when we mm. uh, get to know people from different backgrounds. You want us to mix with Jewish Americans too? Absolutely. Yeah. I love <laughs> I like what you said just now about living better lives. It was almost Oprah-esque and I and I worship her. I mean, living better lives through having more diverse experiences to me is is integral uh for for certainly for any American for any human being. You know, to I, to, I, I, to have forget about mixing with different people, having, you know, unique and different new experiences, but again, that's scary, Joshua. It, it why scary, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid to have a new experience, in, in this case, with a person of, of a different background? Where does my fear come from? Well, one is we're, we're afraid that we're going to have to give up some preconceived notions. So, you know, let's take the Trayvon Martin thing. If, God forbid, we started to get to know young um, African-American men whose pants may be sagging a little bit lower than we would like and, um, and you know, listen to music that, you know, some of us wouldn't, wouldn't listen to. Um, but if we got to know them and realize that, you know, hey, they're applying for a scholarship to go to college and, you know, they're just as afraid of girls as any other 14 or 15-year-old boy is mm-hmm. and, you know, that they're actual human beings, um, then we would have to give up some of our preconceived notions about them. And, and you know, this doesn't just go for white folks. This, this is for African Americans and other people as well. We hold on to stereotypes about uh, white Americans that we, you know, simply don't, uh, you know, want to let go of. And one of those stereotypes is that um, white, white Americans that we, many white Americans that we come into contact with, um, will see us through, you know, a negative lens of race. And for so many, that's just not the case. But I think black folks hold on to that um, as well. And so I think one of the reasons we're uh, we're hesitant to enter into these conversations is we'd have to give up some stuff that we believe for a very long time. And that's always. So- yeah, that's a really great, and that's why in, in college, my roommate Taekwon, who was from Brownsville, Brooklyn, called me White Devil, uh, and why I hated rap and hip hop until he forced me to listen to it, and now I, you know, that I, that's when I learned uh, Tribe Called Quest, and, and so many of the groups that I still listen to today, uh, I never would have chosen uh, to listen to them, but here, here's, here's another, uh, I think, uh, interesting observation is that you talked about even in those places where we where we see folks and 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 travel you know on the subway or in public transportation with people of different um, backgrounds. So we did then also develop our opinions of of in this case let's say black folks uh, based on how they dress or how they behave on the subway or if you don't ride the subway with them what you see how you see them being depicted in the news or uh, on a sitcom and and that is so. Such a bad way to develop your opinion of an entire uh, group of people in a, in a country based on an experience that you really do observe, uh, much less whether or not you engaged in any conversation or communication in any way, right? I mean, when you just yeah. observe things but don't engage, you get a completely different impression uh, that I mean, sometimes supersedes what you believe about all people in that group. Absolutely. I mean, we're all operating on the basis of caricatures. And in the way that, 
we know that this is true is how often people and you know have gotten stuff wrong about us um you know i don't whatever the the standard stereotype that every person you know walks in a room and and receives maybe it's a, a woman or a man who goes into work and because they're not the most smiley person in the world everyone pegs them as an, an angry or a, a sad person but in fact that's just you know the, the the look that's often on their face maybe it's you know someone who 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 walks slow to you know to and from places and people think that they're lazy but that's that's not the case i mean you know it's it's the same thing with you know with these kind of racial uh, things you know, you know my little brother a middle class african american teenager in nashville tennessee um you know has his uh you know again his pants sometimes a little lower than they should be and often walks around um, with earbuds in his ears listening to music. Now, you know, my my, my parents are professionals in, in, in Nashville. This kid has never seen, you know, the, unlike me, this kid has never seen the, you know, the inner city or the ghetto in his life. Um, and yet, if you saw him, you may attach uh, certain um, uh, attributes to him that, that, that do not exist. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we, we have to be very careful before making assumptions on the basis of our outer appearance because people do that to us all the time and they're often wrong. I think uh, we're talking to Joshua Dubois and we're talking, of course, about the conversation about race in America. Joshua, I'm so disheartened by the Bill O'Reilly comments and the Don Lemon comments because not because of what they said, but because we're having, you know, a lot of people are having a conversation about what they said. And what they say uh, often is to just get ratings, to get people fired up, to be, yeah. to have them be talked about. That's not the, I mean, and it's okay. I, I think there's something we can learn from it. And there, there, you know, you could argue about the honesty there and so on. But what do you think about the conversation that happens in the media being the catalyst for the conversation you and I both agree should be happening in our own homes? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I just think it's a distraction from the real issues. I would much rather cable news be devoting segments to the Stand Your Ground law or um, to, you know, uh, programs that support and empower African-American men or local conversations or how to spark local conversations on race, like you're talking about on today's show, than, you know, having entire segments devoted to, you know, what Don Lemon said about someone's pants being down. I mean, you know, it's a... It's it's an issue that can be discussed, but should we give more than you know uh, thirty or <laughs> thirty seconds of of airtime on our televisions? Too absolutely not. And so I mean I I just concur that you know it it is an issue, but if anyone thinks that this is the main issue with racial relations in our country, I would have to say that they're mistaken. I think that one of the most important aspects of the conversation about race is the history of the conversation, the history of race in America specifically. Black yeah. folks in America and, and 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 the big you know, when they were brought here and where we are at now. I mean from slavery to two thousand thirteen. The history matters so much. And I think that one of the really sad things probably is that, you know, the the the, the further we get away from slavery and the civil rights movement, the less uh, young people are learning about that. Why does yeah. history the history of the black struggle in America matter in 2013? Well, there are a number of reasons, but first I would say that the fascinating thing is that no one wants to talk about this history, which is really bizarre because we, that, um, on so many other aspects of American life, it's perfectly okay to bring up history. For example, the entire Tea Party movement 
was is was is based in a conversation about history. They they are making certain points about what the founding fathers believed and didn't believe, and they talk about the founding fathers all the time. And you know, even the name of the movement, Tea Party, is based in you know the Boston Tea Party. It's based in in history, and and that's perfectly fine to bring up. But when it comes to the history of race in our country, for some reason, you know, no one wants to um, no, no wants to talk about that, or they kind of roll their eyes and say, well, that was you know two hundred years ago. But the reality is it, it wasn't that long ago, you know, for this piece that um, I, I did for Newsweek. I talked to John Lewis, who was walking me through things that happened, you know, just a couple, a few decades ago that impacted our, our current racial situation in this country. There's a phenomenal book called Slavery by Another Name by a guy named Douglas Blackman, um, who, who recounts how, you know, even into the middle of the last century, the middle of the 20th century, African-American men were held in what was effectively virtual slavery, called a peonage system that, you know, they were fined for minor, minor offenses, and, um, and when they couldn't pay their fines, they were locked up by, ten, by the tens of thousands all across the South. I mean, these things happen just 30, 40, 50 years ago. And to think that we can just flip the light switch and it all goes away and we should never have a conversation about it um, is silly, particularly when, again, we talk about history and so many other aspects of American life. So I, I, I agree with you that th this is a conversation that needs to happen. We need to get over our fear of, of talking about history when it comes to race um, because of the history that still impacts us every day. What do you make of the phrase white guilt? Um, you know, I, one thing is that, and, and John Lewis said this in the conversation, he said, before we can even have um, a dialogue on race, African Americans have to forgive white people. And that's even the case if white folks don't even know what they're being forgiven for. Um, but he, he said that, you know, when he was dealing with Bull Connor and George Wallace in the South, um, he could not approach them. He could not, you know, um, move forward with his nonviolent actions that had such a huge impact on issues of race if he did not first kind of um, say, I forgive you. I, I forgive not just you, but, you know, the, 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 the broader culture and, and context that, that, that you come from. And I, I think um, if, if black folks were able to take John Lewis's advice, that may um, absolve some of the, you know, the guilt that, that white Americans may or may not feel or maybe don't feel like they should have to feel. But, if, you know, if we start from a place of, okay, you know, I, I forgive anything that may have happened in the past and may even be happening now, but now let's, once forgiven, let's talk about it. I think that's, um, you know, that's a way to get past that guilt. What about the phrase white privilege, Joshua Dubois? That's a phrase that we, we hear uh, a lot, something that I believe in, that I actually have benefited yeah. from. I don't, feel, I, don't, I don't feel guilty about being white, and I don't feel guilty about being privileged. I acknowledge both are, are, are facts. I just acknowledge yeah. that, that, that this is the truth, and, and how do we talk about it? How, we, how do we address it? What is it? White privilege in America. Yeah, I think we all have certain privileges, and so I think white privilege exists. I think middle-class black privilege exists. I think, um, you know, Latino privilege um, exists in, in, in certain ways and in certain respects. And so, again, it's one of those, as you said, you know, one of these objective facts that we have to acknowledge. We were all born 
um, into certain circumstances that have given us some leg up over others and other circumstances that have given us, um, you know, some detriments that we have to, to overcome. And so, I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, being real and uh, acknowledging the reality of the situations in which we're in. And that's something that for some reason people have a hard time doing. Um, before I let you go, and this is, as always, a great conversation, I really appreciate you joining us, Joshua. It's it's such an important conversation to have, and I know I always know that you're up for it, of course. Um, and again, read this article that he's written, uh, The Enduring Rift, Understanding Our Inner Trayvons and Inner Zimmermans by Joshua Dubois. Follow him on Twitter, give him a mention, say hello, and appreciate uh, him joining us here. But um, you, you worked closely with the president for a while. Um, you know mm-hmm. the man. Um, how often does he think about race? How often does he talk about race? Because I, I, I'm sure he thinks and talks about it far more than he'll ever be able to admit simply because of the skin that he's in, the woman uh, that he married, the kids that he has. But he can't be the black president. He can't be the president of black people. And he has to also be very, very conscious of that. So when he talks about it, uh, we, we obviously learn a lot. But I, I felt like in those comments uh, a couple Fridays ago, we, we, he, he let us in on something when he said, you know, Michelle and I talk about this a lot. And then he went on to talk about black men in America. Uh, how how much does he think and talk about this with his family, people like you and other advisors? Yeah, you know, it goes back to where our conversation started, Pete. And that the reality is, um, no matter what we might like to believe, black folks, like other people, including white folks, are thinking and talking about this all the time. Now, it may be really quiet. It may be muttered behind the wheel of a car when somebody cuts us off. It may be, um, you know, when, when a difficult situation <laughs> arises at, at, at work. But I love how we know, always, when someone, when someone cuts us off, we, we go to whatever we find might hurt them. So if it's black, exactly. it's something racist. If they're yeah. fat, they're fat. If they're Asian, right. if they're an old white lady, it's old white. Whatever it is, you yeah. when someone cuts you off, you become a very hateful person based on their identity exactly i mean it it, it, it comes it's out never really the car cool. oh toyota corolla driver <laughs> that's exactly right and, and and so the you know the, the the fact of the matter is it's always beneath the surface and the president um is an american just like any other american and so you know it's beneath the surface for him as well but that doesn't have to be some scary thing or some like you know nefarious oh my god the president is obsessed with race, in some ways, every single person born in this country that you know has the racial history that it has um, is is quote unquote obsessed with race, whether we want to know it or not. Now, the question is going to be: Are we going to step up to the plate and have the type of conversation that the president started a couple Fridays ago that you are are encouraging on your show? Are we going to get this stuff out there and actually talk about it? Because it's on our minds, whether we want to admit it or not. Well, can I, uh, I'm a white guy who works closely with the president in the White House. Can I, uh, we're having a casual conversation, me and President Barack Obama. Can I bring up race to him? Uh, oh, absolutely, if we're sit- yeah. Without he, a doubt, he, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's really good at, you know, you know, talking about stuff like this. and Joking about um, it. Joking about it, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is by no means a, a taboo um, subject. That's good to know, and it's always great to talk to you, Joshua. I I, um, I so appreciate and value uh, you you coming on here and what you're writing, and, and uh, we'll we'll send you this audio. I hope you'll tweet it out and share it with everybody else because this is the conversation that we need to just keep having, and, and you're always welcome to to join us here, and and we'll just we'll just keep breaking it down, man. I really appreciate. it. I look forward to to meeting you when I come down there. Well, thank you for your leadership, Pete, on these issues. Uh, you know, you're always uh, tackling stuff that no one else is, so it's just an honor to be on with you. 
I appreciate it, buddy. Joshua Dubois, right. everybody. Thank you, pal. Thanks we'll talk to you soon. Stand up with Pete Dominic. For more Stand Up with Pete Dominic, go to SiriusXM.com slash indie.